welcome to the Yak Sports Podcast with Joe Deck and Leland McRae. Hello, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to another episode of the Yak Sports Podcast. We are back after a week off. I do apologize. I was ill, but I am better now. And uh, yeah, it's my fault because Leland's too lazy to do any editing. Um, No, just kidding. Um, But... (laughs) I think it's obvious which one of us has the recording software. Right. When I miss an episode, you have a substitute. When you miss an episode, we don't have an episode. The so. world ends. So, um, <laughs> but I'm okay now, and uh, we're back to do another episode of the Yak Sports Podcast. And Leland, because I have been so busy, but I know you have been super plugged into it the past couple weeks, I will toss it over to you for the spring finale recap. We are going to run through them all because there's a lot of attention that needs to be paid because we had a lot of people involved in the state playoffs. And it all started with the track. Uh, you and I on this podcast two weeks ago, uh, and it, I led the conversation saying I didn't think we had a team um, that was going to win states. And then Friday night of that week, the girls from Riverheads came in second. I was like, well, okay, that's higher than I thought we'd have a team place. That's great. It was a gap between them and first, but between Summer Wallace, uh, all her two first-place finishes, three second-place finishes, and a fourth place, she really led that team to a lot of points. And then there was plenty of other help uh, from other Riverheads girls there, uh, including uh, Mackenzie Sacra and Kelsey Back and uh, Berkeley Tyree and Kara Wright. All these girls did great things there to get them the 68 points they needed to finish uh, second place, so that was great. So that surprised me. But then Saturday happened, and Stuart Straff went out there and did what they did in Region 2B. They won the thing. They won the state Class 2 championship for boys track. And that was all those football guys that we're used to talking about, the guys we've been talking about the last couple weeks. Um, Aaron Nice with a second-place finish and a third-place finish. Jaden Watkins with two-thirds and some other uh, good finishes. Latrell Fomby with a second and a fourth. Joel Howard with a fifth and a sixth and a tenth. And those guys getting all those points and a couple other guys adding some points to that got them a second place finish or a uh, first place finish, excuse me, first place state championship finish. And that was just a surprise to me. And I thought it was awesome. I was really happy to see that the relay team did well in the four by 400 um, finish in third, their four by 100 finished second, which we'll talk more about four by 100 in a second, but short strap state champions in track. And I feel good for those guys, uh, those guys I just listed off that have been right at the cusp of that in football the last two years to, to earn a state championship uh, in class two for track. I know that's not what we are covering in the falls and, and the football season. And, and they still want to go out there. You know, the ones that are back, I, you know, I know Aaron Rice, Aaron Nice is still young. Um, those guys still want to go back out and win a state football championship, but it's nice to get some hardware, put a banner on the wall. Um, you know, it, it's awesome. So really big congratulations to Stewart Strap boys really representing the area well. Um, the reason they are were good this season is because they were driven by Stanton. Stanton finished third in the boys. They had a relay team of four by 100 that qualified for nationals. So they really had their game risen for that. And then also Ryan Boserman uh, getting a first place finish and Brennan Apgar getting t- uh, a second place finish um, and Micah Sanders getting a second place finish, all these guys adding up points, getting that third place in class two. So two Shenandoah district teams, two class two B teams finishing in the top three at States for the boys. Just absolutely great. Um, I know 
The girls did well down there, too. They finished seventh. The Stewart's Draft girls finished sixth. A lot of good finishing there. Um, but it really, that team championship kind of just kind of set the tone for the weekend, and uh, it was awesome. Uh, Riverhead's boys had on Friday Chad Kelly with two first-place finishes in a 1,600-meter and a 3,200-meter, and then the Fort uh, long-distance runners, they did well. All right, kind of those mid-distance, Ramsey Corbin with two first-place finishes in the 800 and the 4 by 800 relay. And uh, we know Fort Defiance has had a history of some of those good relay teams and, and those more distance runs. So the track was absolutely a pleasant surprise that we had uh, a state champion. I wasn't as surprised that we had all those individuals place high. I think I knew we'd have some top five finishes across a lot of different events. Uh, but bringing home some of those individual state championships, always something to be proud of. And uh, this area has pretty good track, and it has. I, you know, me being a Riverheads guy, I know what Riverheads track has done for decades. And, and right now it's not running quite at that same level uh, that it was before for the boys. Uh, the girls finishing seconds up there. Um, but they're getting back to it, and so that's really exciting. They kind of had a transition of the coaches, and I think the focus on track, and I, I, I think it's great. And that shows, you know, Riverheads being a small school, you know, those a lot of those players run – and play another spring sport. Same thing at Stanton, I know. There was uh, um, one of their girls who was like state track um, 2B, performer of the year. Uh, I think, was that the Schwanner girl? She, you know, hadn't practiced at track practice uh, since like mid-May, and then all of a sudden she was 2B performer of the year. Um, so it's just a credit to these local schools. On the scale of Virginia, all our schools are, are small, at least somewhat. I mean, Fort Defiance starts getting up there in Waynesboro, but the rest of them are small on the state standard. And so you need these athletes doing multiple sports, not focusing on soccer, focusing on basketball, focusing on football. They do multiple things, and that really pays off. And uh, it's always fun at track to see these athletes you know, maybe do well at tennis and then come over and do well at track or do well at soccer and come back and, and do well at track. So I was really proud of uh, those results that we saw the weekend before last. Yeah, and, you know, it, it speaks a lot to the the athletes that we have in this area also that they're able to do multiple sports and not just hone in on one thing and just say, you know what, this is the only thing I'm really good at. I don't feel confident enough to do this other stuff. They do feel confident enough to do that, and they do well at it uh, for the most part. I think – that kind of goes underappreciated sometimes in our area is just how well our schools are. Yes, they're smaller schools in terms of when you're looking at the entire state and the size of them, but Riverheads is competing in a lot of Class 1 stuff. Stewart's Draft, Stanton, they're competing in multiple Class 2 stuff. Uh, Wilson and Fort, they're, they're competing in Class 3. Re Unfortunately, they're in the toughest region in Class 3 in Region C, and so they run into some buzzsaws there in terms of sports that they're typically excelling at. So, um, I, you know, and I know we have fans of track. I know Will Cash, who we had on uh, two weeks ago, the last episode. Um, he's a big track guy. Um, so yeah. I know he's super into it. I'm sure he's proud of the, his fellow Wilson Memorial students who were in states and uh, is happy with all the success that we're having in this area. Yeah, they had uh, Eliza uh, Dana. She ran the 800. Um, so they at least had some performers up there at that level and that was good. Um, but yeah, it, it's, I, I always like track cause uh, you can kind of see the athleticism of schools and, and, you know, I know we're going to hear a lot of riverheads this spring and, and I think region one B is, is in, in, in the spring, it might show it's most weakest when you, when you only have two girls soccer teams and, um, 
Riverheads can kind of finish down the line in baseball and then still win the region. But uh, I think track still, I think that really shows the amount of athleticism they have at Riverheads. And a lot of those names, you know, aren't the star players in football either. So it is showing right. a depth of, of athleticism at Riverheads, which I'm, I'm pretty proud of. So, um, but good for all the schools, all the local schools, really, it was a happy weekend um, with so much success you know, driving Patrick crazy to get everything posted and um, Cody Elliott up there, the Harrisonburg paper, you know, all the posting they had to do, especially for those Rockingham County schools too. So um, just a lot of fun to see all that. Sure. Over in softball, we did have a state uh, participant, Buffalo Gap. They made it to the semis. Semis, that's where their road ended. Uh, after winning the region to be, they did fall in the state semis, one nothing. Um, the pitcher they were facing as a UVA commit and she held them scoreless and, uh, you know, just, just lost her off and really won nothing, but a great season for Buffalo gap. That was, Ford. uh, you know, excuse me. You're mixing your schools there. I think Fort played the UVA commit and got no hit. Oh, at least that's what Randolph Henry faced a very good pitcher. Nonetheless. Yeah. <laughs> I remember reading that headline. So maybe I'm getting a little confused but either way buffalo gap came up against a hard uh pitcher they lost one nothing and but it was a good run they didn't um have a consistent year where they you know ran undefeated ran all the way to states or something like that but they beat fort in one game and fort you know was a team that made it to their uh region final against rustburg and loss against the uva commit there's my there's my correct note yeah um but uh you know it was a good run for buffalo gap it's something to build off they have a lot of players coming back so i think um They'll, and it's Buffalo Gap softball is not new to this. Uh, also, you remember Buffalo Gap's dropping to Class One B next year, so mm-hmm. um, it will be interesting to see how they plug in there. And I think I think softball is one of their strengths when they go down to One B. So it'll be interesting to see how that does. But proud of Buffalo Gap making it to the state playoffs. Um, Fort Defiance coming up just short in that hard region Three C and, and against uh, that hard pitcher at Rustburg. But um, good softball season overall. Uh, Ford's going to lose uh, Lillian Barry. You know, she's the dominant <laughs> softball player they've had all year. But that program produces uh, good talent. And maybe they don't go, you know, undefeated through the Shenandoah next year or one loss was what they had this year. Um, but, you know, I still have them as a top contender next year uh, with, with the girls they do have coming back, those other names that we saw all season performing for them. So yeah, it'll sure. be interesting to see what they can do next year, but a good softball season. It was a good softball season. And, you know, you have two teams making deep runs. I know, again, we I touched on it there a few seconds ago with Fort Defiance and the problem of running into buzz saws in 3C. Region 3C. Yeah. But for Buffalo Gap to win the region, they weren't the top seed going in. They win the region. Page. Yeah, yeah took out Page County, which was a very good softball team. And then you lose a heartbreaker to Randolph Henry in the state semis. You know, it's still something to be proud of. And they had a good run. And I expect Coach Poltz to have, you know, that team ready to battle with Riverheads in 1B. And, uh, you know, we, we talk about Riverheads, you know, oh, 1B, you get in and you know you never know what happens in 1B. Well, it's going to be the same way for Buffalo Gap now. And Buffalo Gap and softball, as you said, that's kind of their spring sport of choice. So, they should be able to keep making state runs and hopefully win some state championships. Yeah, I I think they're going to have a good opportunity. I think we're seeing a lot of good Mm -hmm. postseason matchups all year between Buffalo Gap and Riverheads. I'm excited about those. Yeah, that'll be good. That won't add anything to that rivalry, I'm sure. (laughs) So over to baseball, Riverheads was the last team standing there. Didn't, you know, finish in that top four in the regular season. Uh, Didn't really finish strong, but then, 
came alive there in Region 1B and uh, had a crazy game to win Region 1B where it got delayed in the bottom of the seventh with two outs for hours. But they won the Region 1B uh, and then go on to the States, and they do fall to Essex. They had the, kind of that one bad inning is what got them, and they lost 6-2. to two. They couldn't rally uh, towards the end there enough to come back and beat that. So Essex gets Riverheads in baseball. Uh, they, they moved on to the state final there. Auburn ended up winning that class one there. Uh, so um, Essex still came up short on the state title there. But, you know, Riverheads, I, I'm proud, you know, obviously my homer call, I'm proud that they they did win at the end and, and find ways to win and, and looked a bit stronger there in the end. I think that's something to build off of. You know, I think it was a disappointing regular season, but at least they made the most of their opportunity um, at the end. And I just... I just don't think they were good enough. That's kind of what I came across. Sure. I mean, they, just, they weren't a state championship level team this year. And, uh, you know, we can try to pass off region one B. They still got to go to the state playoffs and win the thing. And they didn't. And I, and that's why it is proven. Riverheads wasn't good enough. Uh, the other um, teams stay in late. Uh, you know, Wilson fell in the three uh, C. They fell when we were still recorded the last time. So I, I think it really was just Riverheads holding up last. I know Buffalo Gap, um, they're going to have a new baseball coach next year. But, you know, they they had their moments this year where you thought, OK, are they going to make a run or and then they didn't. And then there was some confusion uh, with a pitch inning limit, pitch number count limit. And so um, they'll be interesting. They have a new head coach opportunity there from what I saw online. Um, so not a whole lot of action from from the state. And that's where we kind of thought maybe we'd get multiple teams into the state playoffs. We yeah, did. It just wasn't that um, case. So. Everybody kind of beat up on each other. And then, uh, you know, like we said, 3C, it's tough. And it's going to be tougher with Stanton moving up. The one thing I wanted to talk about with baseball, um, they put out the all-district teams. And, I mean, I'm not going to sit here and read off all of them. It's a lot of the names you'd expect. All the all the team's best players made it. Yeah, you know, Ryan Cook and Aiden Miller and – um, you know, that uh, Aiden Pogrowski, I never say the name right, uh, that plays for Wilson, but his dad coaches at draft. We talked about Pugorski. it with Patrick Height. Yeah. Pogorski, yeah. Uh, he, you know, made it as a 10th grader on the second team. So, you know, he's looking like a stud there. But they had what irritated me, and this, this isn't to call out this, isn't trying to be disrespectful to any of the coaches, but they had Coach of the Year award. The player of the year was Gaps uh, Canterbury, uh-huh. um, who's going to the next level to play. But the coach of the year, they had three head coaches named coach of the year. And in a 16 dis- district, when you name three coaches coach of the year, I just feel like that takes the honor away. Like you, you didn't, <laughs> that's not an honor. Then it's half, half the district is coach of the year. I just, that's just not where I was at with that award. Um, so yeah, I mean, I started looking at who I'd give it to and, and they gave it to Wilson's coach, Ford's coach and Trav's coach. That's, the, the three Pugarski, teams that finished tied at this uh, yeah. Fink and Cullen. And yeah, and they all tied, finished with the best record. Wilson ended up beating Fort in that playoff for the 3C spot. Mm-hmm. But what I come back to is our preseason conversation. And we talked about Fort Defiance, Stewart's Draft, and Riverheads, you know, were the teams we'd first assume would go the deepest. Yep. We didn't mention Wilson. We talked about Wilson being young. We talked about we had heard they kept some of the pitchers down at JV, but brought up some of the hitters and fielders, you know, guys focused on that. Um, so they were kind of not their full strength and they were a year or two away. Well, they won the district this year. I mean, they were mm-hmm. tied for the first and then they beat out Fort in a playoff for that spot. Mm-hmm. So in my mind, no disrespect to Fink or, or, or at Stewart's draft at, at um, those other two schools. Yeah. I think Cullen deserves coach of the year there. because He was the one that I think overachieved. Yeah. So he's got the Yak Sports Coach of the Year, which I'm sure he's very proud of. Trophies in the mail. 
Um, but <laughs> hopefully, it gets you go to talk you. to Rob Stenzel at, at Shenandoah Awards. Yeah, you know how them. the postal service is. So you know, we hope it gets to you. But Coach Cullen is our coach of the year. Um, I agree, Leland. I saw you put yeah. honorary Yak Sports Coach of the Year, but you didn't put a name, and I was wondering who you're going to give it to, and that was my vote. So I, I agree. To it's unanimous. Too. Coach Cullen yeah. wins. I- and that's no disrespect to Fink. He, he's a great coach. Or Podgorski. And, uh, a year ago, he would have been coach of the year, the honorary one. I think he probably right. won it straight up. But, you know, that it's if somebody's got to name one person to win the award, the Act Sports is here to do it. So, All right, we did it. We're not, we're not afraid of controversy here. Uh, high school girls soccer, we did have a state uh, participant there, the Riverheads girls. This is the one that, uh, no disrespect to these girls, they, you know, fought through a season, got to the end. Um won a won a won the region there was only one other team in the region so it's not exactly a a a deep playoff there and uh so this is one of the easier uh regions to win in the state much less out of the teams just from our area but hey they won the region so congratulations to them then they came up short west point um you know when we name these teams that riverheads just beats down in football them getting an opportunity to play some of our other teams in the spring sports and and they get to win i hope they find uh satisfaction in that At, at that's nice and all. I, I it doesn't mean much to me, but <laughs> it's well, nice. Oh, I mean, it counts. That. It's the it same. Counts. It's good. It's it's a district championship, but it doesn't take back what other beatdowns might have happened. It's a state semifinal <laughs> win. No, it's good. I'm glad. No, I'm but glad the Riverheads football beatdown doesn't take take away the girls' soccer beatdown. That's true. That's true. Uh, that's true. It's all on its own. And so I'm, I'm happy the Riverheads girls made it that far. I'm disappointed they lost. I'm not taking anything away from that. Um, but, you know, if we get an opportunity to remind them what, what football's like at some point, that's, that's fine, well, too. Well, I'm fine. Uh, I mean, look, if, they wanna, <laughs> if we ever make a trip back to West Point, which will probably be never, because um, no, yeah. they will never get to host Riverheads in a pl- football game. Unless oh, we need another pandemic, yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and they want to bring up girls' soccer. I'll be like, hey, that's great, you know. You guys won girls soccer. That's awesome. But football, don't come here and talk about it because you did not win that. And the win in girls soccer doesn't change what happens in football. And the win in football doesn't change what happens in girls soccer. Yeah, I mean, that's very true. I'm not trying to discount any spring sport or put football ahead of any other. I just, you know, when we went to West Point, we we got we became under fire a little bit. So we came under fire by a bunch of yahoos being yahoos. I mean, let's. And then they realized somewhere in the second quarter what happens when you wish in one hand and poop in the other. <laughs> All right. Going over to boys soccer. Stanton was our last team in it. Uh, Wilson did win that re- uh, district, but Stanton was the last team. And they lost to Clark County in the Region 1B final. So Stanton not quite up to the state championship standard they had previously set, but still a very good season for them. Mm-hmm. Um, with only, you know, the two losses on the season, the loss to Wilson and the loss in their final to Clark County. Um, so I, I would very much look at this as a Wilson Stanton district again next year, Buffalo gap. I don't even think fielded a boys soccer team. So I don't think them coming in changes much, uh, Waynesboro also coming in the district. So that's a team we kind of blown past in some of these discussions, but, uh, I still, no matter what, I think Wilson Stanton district there, and those will be some must see games. Those are those are already circled on the calendar next year for whenever they schedule them. Wilson, Stanton soccer, those are those are the games of the week for sure when they're going to get together. Well, the the tough part about that is, too, for Stanton is they're going up to 3C. So 
like we've been yeah, saying in all be, these other sports, same, boys soccer is going to be tough be too. That same playoff with Wilson, mm-hmm. and uh, they'll be reunited with George Mason, a team that they had to uh, face at Class Two for a while. Mm-hmm. George Mason went up on the last cycle, and they just won the state title again this year, uh, now in Class Three. So yeah, it'll it'll be a reunion for Stanton and George Mason possibly, but also uh, coming out of the district with Wilson and Wilson playing strong. That'll be interesting. Yeah, so it'll be exciting. Um, and yeah, I, I think whew, that's been one heck of a rivalry already. So this will just add more yeah. to it when the when the games can happen in the postseason. Some other high school sports while we're talking high school. That was all the spring. Uh, so congratulations to all the state champions, all the state uh, contenders that were there. Uh, I guess, you know, mm-hmm. in a lot of cases, I think the be- the bar has been risen. So uh, looking forward to see how those teams can kind of rebound from that and uh, maybe take it further. But in some of the other news, Mike Gale, uh, former head coach of the Stewart's Draft Boys basketball, went down to Rockbridge to be the AD and coach the boys basketball down there. Uh, But one year later, he's coming back to Augusta County, coming back to his roots. He's a Fort grad, and he's going back to Fort Defiance where he'll coach the girls basketball. So he'll bring, uh, you know, three Deculus or three Lentless, or if I'm just going to straight steal it for Steve, yeah. Fort, Fort Three Fiance, which I think needs to be copyrighted quickly. And uh, I'm just going to steal it from Steve straight up. Fort, Fort Three Fiance is he what won. Mike Gale's going to have going on there. Yeah, he won. I mean, that was that was the yeah. best one. He nailed it. I think I had but, one, but I won't say it. But <laughs> I like this. <laughs> no, but it was surprising to see Coach Gale only one year at Rockbridge, especially coming out of an admin position to go to Fort Defiance and, and not be taking on an admin position there. He's going to take on the girls basketball head coach, but um, won't be a, an assistant principal or anything there. So teacher, it was he? just surprising to see that move. You have to assume, um, you know, his family still living in Augusta oh, sure. County, a big factor in that, even though Rockbridge isn't too far away. But I, you know, I'm glad to have him back in, in Augusta County. He was always a great coach for us to work with when he was a Stewart's draft. The last time he coached an Augusta County team, he took that team the furthest that program had ever been. So I'm excited to see what he can do with the Fort Defiance girls. And, and they get a lot of uh, girls through that school that can really play. And I, I'm interested to see what he can do with that style, that, that pressure, that up-tempo game. Apply that to the girls' game there in this area and see what it can do against – this area and the rest of region three C. Yeah. It'll be interesting to see what happens. Um, yeah. I, I just feel like we've, this is the three C episode. I, I am interested to see if that <laughs> translates there. Well, I, you know, I think people had their doubts about the, the Stewart draft boys running it. And, uh, you, you had, uh, problems with it when they're getting beat by 30 and he stayed in that style. Um, but, you know, he stayed in it and stayed in it game after game, year after year. And then eventually it, I think it paid off. I think playing that style paid off to be able to knock off a team like central high school and, and to play uh, East Rockingham tough here and there and um, beat, win the district. And, and so, you know, I think playing that style can, can mess a team up when it gets to a three C playoff that isn't used to seeing that style. I'm just, I'm interested to see how it matches up. There was a lot of years before we hosted a podcast together, Stuart Straff would start 0-3, and then all of a sudden they'd win 10 straight, and they'd go deeper in the playoffs than you'd expect. So I'm just interested to see that thrown in to a new district, you know, into the girls' basketball in that 3C and see what it can do. I don't have high hopes for it, but I wish Coach Gale and Fort Defiance the best. Yeah. 
the other coaching move, uh, another coach this time going from coaching at a job he's been at a long time to a TA to a AD position at TA is coach Coleman up at East rock to on Monday. We're recording on Monday night here. Uh, coach Donnie Coleman this morning announced, uh, to his team and then publicly that he'd be leaving East Rock. He is the only head coach East Rock has ever had for that football team, and he's built it from scratch. I mean, that team, the first year wasn't good, and then he made the playoffs every other year since up until this year when uh, it, was a, it was a rough year for him. Um, he uh, built that program, took him to a state semifinal, uh, really had him sit on top of the world a couple years ago there, and uh, now he's going to focus his attention just on administration and he's going to be over at TA and uh, congratulations to him. Like that's a great opportunity. Uh, it was really cool to see comments in Cody Elliott's article uh, from coach keys at East rock from other coaches in the area for the players and everything was positive and happy for him and happy for the opportunity he was getting. So I'm excited for him. And you know, if, if he's able to, you know, equate what he's done at East rock for that football program, taking it from nothing and really building it, going into TA, a, a pretty solid athletic program, and they have success in a lot of different areas. And if he can build on that and, and, and have success the way he has as, as a football coach um, and also producing all the assistant coaches, you know, Spotswood's head coaches um, uh, had been at East Rock. And, and I, you know, Cody Elliott's already alluded to the fact that he thinks one of those assistants there at East Rock will probably end up taking over uh, the offensive coordinator who's done a heck of a job there and produced a lot of talent to the next level. If he's able to, you know, produce – you know, top level sports at TA at, at that level there. I mean, they could really make a lot of noise in the Valley district and three C there. And I, I'm excited for, to see what coach Coleman can do there, you know, behind the scenes more. Yeah. I think, you know, an assistant coach moving into East rock, I, I think, you know, that seems like you said to be what's rumored and that, that will keep the same system in place. And we'll just have to see how it gets executed with a new person in there. Um, but in, in terms of coach Coleman, I, I think he's very happy with what he did at East rock. I know he didn't make the yeah, playoffs this year and be. I'm sure he would like to change that. But other than this last year, that's an amazing run. So, um, he, he had a lot of success there. I know he didn't win a state championship at East rock, but he got close and he had some really, really great football teams coming in out of Elkton. And so I'm sure in terms of the athletic department there at TA, they'll be, uh, they'll be roaring here pretty soon. For sure. Uh, just while we're on the football, just remind everybody we should be seeing some, you know, schedules for the fallout soon. Uh, the VHSL usually in, in late June, early July puts out the the master schedule. I think this year it'll probably be delayed just coming off the uh, what we've just been through. Um, but here within the next 30 days, I'd expect to see a master schedule out. I think a lot of the teams already know their schedules or are just trying to lock up their last games. Uh, Waynesboro put their schedule out. They open up with Riverheads and they they do all their district games first, and then they'll close with a bunch of non-district games with Valley District opponents. Um, but the rest of the district will be kind of more mixed up than that. I know from what I've seen of the Riverhead schedule, uh, you know, they, I think they, you know, start with some district games and then have some non, and they just have them all mixed together. Uh, the big rumor out of Riverheads is uh, Riverheads and Draft are going to play twice. They're going to play a non-district game and they're going to play uh, a district game. And so knowing an overtime three-point game last year, uh, po the, the strong possibility, what it sounds like that we're going to see that twice this year. Um, that's exciting. That's, you know, it's good football. I, I hate what that, I hate why, why that game exists. I hate what that means. It just means, you know, we've experienced Riverheads haven't finding it tough to find opponents to play. Uh, Stewart's draft, you know, 
immediately getting it. They go to back-to-back state championships, and now they're facing the same problem, and they were searching for a game. And the only answer was to play each other. Two teams looking for games, playing each other, um, even though they play for the district. I, I just wish there was some parameter set up where teams couldn't just completely avoid um, it, there needs know, the to be a rule. Teams. If you have an agreement in place and you drop out shortly before the season starts and there's not a legitimate yeah. reason to do it, it goes down as a forfeit. Yeah, but because I know also, I, it's not Riverhead's fair. Riverhead's brothers have the game. They want to play. Yeah, but it needs to go down as a forfeit because you need to punish these ADs who are being cowards and not playing yep. teams. It's, I, I it's what it is. And... and yeah, I mean, Riverhead's going to play Lord Bottertot. Does Riverhead's have Lord a Botetot snowball's plays... chance in hell in Lord Bot- beating Lord Bottertot? No. But they're putting but them Lord on the Botetot... schedule because they can't play anybody else because Perry McClure or whoever is too chicken bleep Alta to Vista play him. Yeah, Alta Vista. Well, Alta Vista plays good teams all the time. I don't know what the problem is. Because <laughs> they're 2-8 and eight when they do it. Uh, the credit I give Lord Bottetot, you hear about teams like Spotswood and other Valley district teams. And you kind of hear this thing where like, well, it doesn't like help them to play Riverheads. You know, Lord Botetot is playing Appomattox one week and Riverheads the next. It doesn't seem like they're scared of playing the top, uh, top teams from the class below them, multi-state championship teams from the classes below them. They don't seem scared. So I, I don't know, you know, why is that worse for Spotswood than it is for Lord Botetot? Um, unless you're just admitting to yourself that you're not, you I'd know, say in, one in class playing field. Yeah. I, I the class two teams are the ones I'd focus on. Class three, it's a different. I mean, it does kind of affect points a little bit, but um, class two should be playing class one. I don't know if you beat Riverheads, who's going to give you eight or nine wins, uh, rather than play, you know, William and Rowe, who's going to give you two wins. I, it, it starts to even out pretty quick. Yeah, but if you're playing, if it, if it's not William and Rowe, and it's a different class three team that gets you six or seven then you play the class three team that's going to get you six or seven. Well, there is the multipliers in there that do help with some of that, but uh, I don't know if it's good enough for Lord Botetot. I think it's good enough for others. So, but Hey, if we get two good rivalry games this season out of it, uh, an extra one than we would have gotten, uh, I guess, I don't know what we're complaining about. All right. NCAA baseball. We had a lot happen while we were away. The, the bulk of the tournament, uh, the two biggest storylines. Let's start with the easy one first. UVA, uh, you know, they won their first game. There's a lot of excitement. Uh, they were looking good in their second game, and then things just didn't go well after that. And uh, the Facebook and Twitter talk from from local UVA fans really faded out quickly, uh, which didn't bother me any. But their season ended. Hey, they made a good run. I'll give I'll give credit where it's due. Uh, they didn't start out great, but then they got hot and uh, they got in the tournament. And you know. The team I root for didn't, so credit to them for that. Uh, but they also uh, got the one win there and then went away. But the team that was making a lot of noise out of the ACC, NC State, uh, they were looking maybe like a team of destiny going to a, to a final. They were really looking good. But then the COVID bug came out and uh, bit them in the butt. And so it was a disappointing way for that team to go out. You just hate that uh, external circumstances – uh, you know, had effect on this team, uh, the pandemic. This is, you know, we've, we talked a lot about the pandemic for the last uh, nine months in college sports and how it affects these games, these teams. And seems like football, we kind of got through it all. And 
basketball, you know, we had a lot of cancellations, but the season kind of came together fine. Uh, we only had one team drop out of the tournament there, and that was before it even started. Uh, but here's NC State, and I think this kind of became like the the biggest drastic uh, um, victim of COVID uh, for the NCAA sports that I'm aware of, and and I'm sure there's some sport out there that might have something worse. But NC State had to had to get dropped out in the middle of the night, which isn't a great look, uh, because they had too many COVID cases on their teams and uh, all the scenarios surrounding who has to sit out and contact tracing and all that. NC State had to be um, put out without losing uh, their, well, I guess they lost their last game, but they still had a loss to get, or uh, one more loss to earn. Uh, but Vanderbilt moves on in their place and Vanderbilt, Mississippi facing off in the championship series. But a heartbreaker for NC State. Um, but it, it's when you go into these seasons, you knew something like this could happen. You know, you don't know what, how COVID can affect your team or when or what. And so not completely out of left field on this one. Um, it just stinks when it happened and, and, and how it happened for, for those players and uh, for that team and all their supporters that uh, it just didn't get decided, you know, with, with the bat and the ball. Yeah. I mean, the, the chancellor said um, this is NC state's chancellor. We decided in September that the medical experts were going to be the ones that drove these decisions. It's something we've been living with this entire pandemic. We had eight positive student athletes per the regulations that were laid out. That made it a no contest. It wasn't something that was outside of the rules. Yeah. So you predetermined rules, decide something. You, you kind of got to grit your teeth and live with them. And uh, it happens all the time. You know, teams making making or not making playoffs to begin with due to predetermined rules. You know, there was a lot of regions in, in high school football and uh, high school sports this year that took less teams to the playoffs than seasons before. Um, and there was, you know, Wilson Memorial football. We said, well, you know, in a normal year, they're in the playoffs this year. Instead, they're left out. You know, you hate those opportunities missed. Um, you know, this happened in mid tournament, right on the cusp of being in the championship series, really tough for that fan base. But, um, you know, I kind of credit NC state to hold to their guns. You know, they, they had predetermined rules and they didn't change them when it didn't make them happy. So I, uh, I credit the people making decisions around that team. And, uh, I, I haven't seen too much from players and coaches there that, um, I look, you know, bad at, I mean, some, some comments that they're not happy and you, you, that's fine, but no, no drastic thing. So I credit everybody being adults in that situation and, uh, opportunity lost, but something to build off of and build, build character and build experience from yeah um and again to me it sucks that they had to forfeit but um some players on that team chose not to get vaccinated covid spread it, it hit eight players so that's kind yeah, of the risk you wonder you run. if it hits less if, if you, you made it you made a decision and you have to live with that decision i i have no sympathy this is america you can choose whether or not to get vaccinated but if you choose not to your team might get cost a chance to play in the college world series and you have to be okay with that. So there was other, um, you know, other positive COVID cases recently, Chris Paul for the Suns, and we'll get back to basketball later. He was but, allegedly vaccinated. Yeah. I mean, I, and we're going off of what he says, so I'm taking his word but, for it. Uh, that he was one vaccinated. point that I like the most that came out of that, uh, one of the guests on the Tony Kornheiser podcast saying, you know, he got COVID even though he was vaccinated, but he's not showing any symptoms. You know, everybody's like, well, how'd he get it? If he got vaccinated, also, getting it and not really being affected by it is part of what a vaccine does. It, it you know, calms down the virus if, if you are infected with it and makes it not uh, affect you as much. And we've seen professional athletes 
greatly affected by this virus. So um, the vaccine did work for Chris Paul, just, you know, not as upfront as you maybe want it to be. You know, you're hoping you don't even get it because you get the vaccine. But if your symptoms are less and it affects you less, then then that's then that's great. So, um, you know, it, it can go all different ways. But uh, we all knew this year there was going to be negatives because of COVID. And this was definitely one of them for the NC State people. And so uh, we'll move on and we'll watch Vanderbilt, Mississippi State. They're playing tonight on Monday night here. I, I did have the score pulled up. Vanderbilt's um, up by a lot. Yeah, I'm not rooting for Vanderbilt. I know that. Well, if Kumar Rocker or Al Leiter want to pitch for the Orioles, I'll root for him. <laughs> All right. Uh, Valley Baseball League, and this is where Joe can do most of the talking because he's engulfed in it every night. Our Stanton Braves, Leland Stanton Braves, 9-13, and 5-5 um, five and five in the last few uh, 10 games there. Uh, John Leonard's Generals, they're above 500. They kind of were dancing around 500. Now they're a couple games up. Uh, they're seven and three in their last 10. So that's a good little run. So uh, the locals are there, but they're all looking up at at Strasburg and Charlottesville and uh, the surging Woodstock River Bandits who are uh, eight and two in their last 10 and have taken a two game advantage up there in the North Division. Uh, so those are kind of those three teams are who you probably look to first as being contenders. Um, I'm just wondering if Waynesboro is, is going to find themselves back up in that spot in a contender spot or not. Uh, Waynesboro, yes, possibly. Um, they're, that's a team that just kind of needs to put it all together and they're going to be a force to be reckoned with. Um, for Stanton, they're going to be that team that John Leonard thought they were to begin with. Exactly. Um, for Stanton, I think it comes down to pitching more than anything. They've got to be consistent. They've improved on the hitting here recently, which has been a nice sign to see um, because they've reduced the number of strikeouts recently Friday night. They beat Charlottesville. They beat the stuffing out of them, which was great. The folks at Charlottesville did not like my UMBC fun fact from Ian Diaz as he hit a double that helped clear the bases and really put a nail in their coffin uh, Friday night. But Wednesday, we what we see is we see great pitching Friday from Charlottesville for the most part or against Charlottesville for the most part. And then Saturday, you see some dicey pitching against Waynesboro. You're out of the game in the first inning, and it just kind of snowballs. Then in the doubleheader, you have great pitching until you need to go to the pin. The pin was a bit shaky. And then game two, you have a huge lead, and Newmarket is able to not only tie the game to send it into extras, but get the lead in the top of the eighth. The last three innings, they get no hits, and I think they scored something like five or six runs in the last three innings. So that's really hard to do. Um, and, and you just need to be able to command the strike zone a little better. Um, if they can do that, they're in the playoffs. If they don't, Covington will catch them. They've got two big games against Covington coming up this week. And when you have a game and a half advantage with two games during the week against the team chasing you, it's going to be important. I think they still have uh, six meetings overall with Covington to go with a game and a half separating them. So Stanton needs to at least be 500 in those six games and then take care of business elsewhere in the league. Um, they've been okay at these double headers. Uh, they swept front Royal and new market. They split with Percival, which is one they should have swept again. I, I will, I know the umpire will disagree with me, but um, he blew a call at first base that cost Stanton sweeping that one. 
And then they got swept by Woodstock, who is a really good baseball team. They play Strasburg coming up. I, I think the real bummer for Stanton is most of their games against Charlottesville are done. Charlottesville is a team that has gone ice cold at the plate. And you you saw that when Stanton played them uh, this last time. And I think the other games at home, Stanton needs to take advantage of that. Charlottesville is not hitting the ball nearly as well as they did at the beginning of the year. They're in some slumps. And, and you just really need to take advantage of that. Guys who have broken out of slumps and have been really impressive. Uh, Joey Holliga for Stanton has found his bat. After taking a while to get hits, he's now over 300. McCarty's over 300. Uh, Ian Diaz is starting to heat back up. If you can get Cole Ragone hitting the ball well again, I think Stanton is going to be in the playoffs. You just got to get more consistent pitching. Um, but you you bring up Woodstock, and they've been great. And I hope – I am I know I'm going to say your last name wrong, and John can correct me. But Madison Herrick – or Herrick, Herrick – Again, I know it's wrong. I apologize. But um, she has Woodstock number one in her latest power rankings, and I think that makes a lot of sense because they're just beating all comers right now, and uh, Mike Bocock and the River Bandits look pretty good up there. Mike Bocock, the former manager of the Braves, so... Uh, among others. That was a different... Um, yeah, among others, but a different a different time when Braves usually finish pretty well in the seasons. Uh, so... Uh, moving over to a topic we haven't really touched on for the last month, and uh, I don't know if we should have or shouldn't have, but we just haven't. I was happy to see Tyler Zombro tweeting uh, out a lot of thank yous to people that um, we were putting out prayers and concern for him and the organization supporting him, You know, fans across baseball supporting him. Um, if you don't know, Tyler Zombro, local kid, uh, Stanton kid, and um, played in the Valley League. He was hit by, as a pitcher, he was hit by a ball batted back at him immediately in a really scary, um, scary incident. I don't recommend uh, looking it up. Just trust me that it happened and it was scary. Um, and he has been, you know, severely injured from that and immediately put into surgery and um, has some big scars from it. Um, but it was, I was really happy to see uh, a week ago him putting out some tweets talking about you know getting back on the baseball field and stuff like that and and i think he has a road ahead of him for that but um i like that optimism i like that drive it doesn't surprise me at all (laughs) from what i know about tyler zombro and the people around him that i know personally um and then watching him play so uh our thoughts have been with him since the moment it happened honestly the first week uh that that happened i didn't want to talk about on the podcast because i i didn't know what positive things to say because it was right we didn't know anything. We knew he was at the hospital and, and it, you know, was bad. So, uh, I didn't want to talk about it on the first podcast. I wanted to know more before we said anything. Uh, but here we are, we do know a little bit more and there's a lot of positive to talk about. So I'm, I'm happy to do that. And, uh, our thoughts continue to be with Tyler Zombro and any support we can give his way and positive words his way. Uh, we will, he was honestly a guy I was hoping to get on the podcast here, uh, shortly. I, I, uh, hadn't talked to him directly about it, but, uh, I was working some of my angles for a, for an inside in to hopefully have him care to come on the exports podcast. Um, uh, and I still want to, and now we have say, some yeah, more to I mean, talk about, talk but baseball. I still want to hear yeah. about his whole journey, uh, to this point, uh, before, before all this too, because that's what I was already interested in. Uh, but also hearing about this would be great. Uh, and I, you know, if he wasn't already an athlete from our area for, for these kids to look up to, he, he is even more so now because of the drive he has in him and his, his immediate reaction to, uh, how all this has gone. 
Um, he's not sulking in the uh, disappointment of it all. He's he's looking ahead to uh, positive things. So I, I love it and I look forward to seeing great things out of him, whatever whatever they are. Um, I'm not going to limit him on what they are. If he wants to be back and play baseball, that's what I expect to see. Yeah. Uh, if, if he's if he's wrong about what his expectations are, I'm excited to see what he can do for the game of baseball or just for for anybody because I know that kid um, has a lot of fight in him, and I'm eager to see what happens. Sure. All right, let's get out of the A block, and we're going to talk about all this pro sports in the B block. All right, Leland, let's talk about the sport that everyone is talking about, hockey. The (laughs) NHL playoffs, Stanley Cup is starting tonight. At the end of two periods, the Tampa Bay Lightning have a 2-1 lead on the Montreal Canadiens, and they can score one more goal tonight. That's it. So it probably needs to be from Tampa. Uh, and then they're done <laughs> scoring for the night. Um, so, But I mentioned Montreal. Obviously, that's a team from Canada, and I said the teams from Canada sucked, and they had no chance. But in my defense, I didn't think your Colorado Avalanche would choke against the offenseless Golden Knights. Their offense isn't great in Vegas. And so when you're playing a team that has a hot goalie in Carey Price, that can really make things bad. And that's what Montreal's riding right now. They're riding a great goaltending performance in the playoffs from Carey Price. Uh, the, he, the, Montreal was the four seed going in in that division, and they come out of it. Now they knock off the Knights, and they've got the Lightning. I still think they lose the Lightning. I think it goes six games if Carey Price has an absolute on-his-head performance throughout the entire series again. Um, I just think Tampa Bay has too many weapons on the offensive end, and they're going to get past Carey Price in a way that Vegas couldn't. And Tampa Bay coming off that championship last year in the in the, in the the hockey bubble. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know if that's an igloo or what, but... Um, so that'll be interesting to see what they can do there. They knocked off the Islanders. Moving over to the NBA, I know I, you've been watching more hockey. I've been watching more NBA. The NBA has got me interested this year uh, in the playoffs. Uh, usually I don't start paying attention until game five, six, seven maybe because it usually is predictable. This year, these playoffs have not been predictable. We've seen a lot of good teams knocked off. We have the two seed versus the four seed in the West and the three seed versus the five seed in the East. So the, you know, the, the one seed's gone and other top seed's gone. I, I, I find that exciting. Um, you know, we talk all the time about how the NBA is so predictable. You, you could just write in the Cavaliers and Warriors there for a couple of years straight. And sure enough, that's what we got. Um, I like it this year that it's not, I don't think the NBA ratings are agreeing with that logic. Um, but it's interesting to me, uh, just for it being different. I, I know next year can easily just go back to golden state being good or LeBron leading a the team there. But, um, I'm interested to see what it, what, what can happen this year since it's not, it's, it's to me, it's a little bit, it feels a little bit like, 94 95 when Houston Rockets won the world uh, won the championship with Michael Jordan playing baseball I uh, I kind of equate it to that a little bit with my with my interest then I, at that time I thought with Sha- Shaquille O'Neal the Magic they're going to win it or the Knicks are finally going to get there but no Houston Rockets with Hakeem Olajuwon you know all-time great there um they that's what I equate it to so the Suns and Clippers uh, they're playing right now on Monday night. It's another tight one. The Suns have a 3-1 lead. The highlight of that series has been that game-winning oop on Friday night uh, when they threw it an inbounds play right above the hoop, and they just put it right in. And uh, I love the video where the person's down in front of Michael Wilbon and Stephen A. Smith, and you've got to see their natural reactions to that play. 
thought that was awesome from two guys. How much basketball those guys have seen in their careers covered professionally sitting in all the arenas and all these big games and seeing all these big moments and to see their reaction for that really stuck with me. I, I do want to say something about, you know, the bubble versus this year. A lot of people have said, you know, oh, the teams in the NBA were bubble frauds and this this playoff has exposed that. I would say the opposite. I think it's because of the short off season. And I think what proves that is the Suns didn't lose a game in the bubble, but the teams ahead of them were yeah, so far well ahead enough. that they the Suns didn't get in the playoffs. So what have the Suns done this year? They've gotten to be the two seed in the West and they've run rough shot through the NBA. Now, part of that is they've stayed the healthiest. And another part of that is they're playing pretty good basketball and they're a pretty good team. Um, and I think actually I saw somewhere, I can't remember where, I wish I could, that the ratings were actually up this NBA postseason. So um, I, I think I, that's... I, I saw an article kind of claiming the opposite for okay. these final for these what about, finals. Well, but we'll see. We'll, you what know, about um, yet and all that? Maybe not compared to last year because everybody was inside, but the year before, I guess, was what I was I trying think to the year before. To. I think last year was was down too. I, I think oh, most of the okay. comparisons are to previous because last year there was a lot more than uh, basketball uh, being put on sure. uh, people's minds there. So, um, uh, yeah, I I like that it's different I mean, teams. I wish I could watch. I just don't have time. I think once you get to the final, through the finals, we'll see when these series carries out. Because you're comparing full series to, you know, you can't say the ratings are down in the Eastern Conference Finals because the Eastern Conference Finals aren't done yet. You don't know how these last couple games are going to go. They might be the highest rated of all, you know, so you just have to see. You know, when you look on paper and you see Bucks, Hawks, and even thinking about the stars that play for those teams – you, you wouldn't be surprised if ratings are a touchdown because you're, you're not dealing with Kevin Durant and everything that, and everybody at the nets and, and um, you know, these Eastern conference teams that are kind of loaded, you know, that you've seen these last couple of years or a name like the Celtics. So, you know, uh, Giannis is still there. He's a star. Trey Young is coming alive as a star in the East there. The Bucks leading that series two to one. Um, I, it's a big opportunity between, you know, Trey Young and then Booker for the Suns and, um, you know, some of these younger stars, it's an opportunity for them to stand out in, in a year where, where they're not facing LeBron in, in these conference finals or final finals or not seeing Steph Curry and these multi MVP guys. I, I guess Giannis is multi MVP now, isn't he? But, um, you know, it, it's, it's interesting. I, I find it interesting this year. Um, you know, once you start seeing these teams head off face to face, you know, that that's what's going to be the passing of the torch. Everybody tries to say this has already been a passing of the torch. You know, as much as I was arguing you about LeBron a couple weeks ago and I'm saying, you know, he, they got to watch out for the Suns and all this, you know, I still don't I just I'm not burying LeBron at this moment. I'm not burying Durant either. I think Durant's I mean, he'll be right back at it next year. And the Golden State Warriors are too well coached and has too much talent up there if they can stay healthy. So I think this is just the year that it kind of all went together. Where we see these teams that we're not used to seeing at this level It's the Clippers first trip to the conference finals They, you know. And they have a different coach this year. You know, it's just a lot of storylines going into it that for a guy that listens to a lot of sports talk radio and podcasts, you know, these are a lot of storylines that defy what I've heard from these past couple of years. But uh, like I said, I'm not burying any of those teams that are out of it. No, I, I like um, I, I like seeing I, <laughs> with this three one lead in the series. I think the Suns are definitely into the NBA finals. I think the East is where it's going to be interesting. I think Trey Young yeah. and Jonas are having a great now. Trey Young getting hurt may kind of hurt that, but um, I, I think he plays on Tuesday. Yeah, but if he can't come back and be the same, is what I mean. Like that's gonna 
make that not give the ball to logo. He'll shoot it from there. If he if he can get back to what he, you know, is, then that's yeah. an interesting series. If he's banged up and can't get back to that normal level, then Milwaukee walks through, and maybe that saves you know in terms of Adam Silver that gives him something to root for. It's Giannis versus the Atlanta Hawks and the Phoenix Suns. Um, but yeah, yeah. I, I I think the Suns will be in it, and I'm not a good big Chris Paul guy, but it, you know it's kind of interesting to see him kind of mentoring these younger guys and the influence he's had on that team. Even when he was away with COVID for a mm-hmm. couple games, you could still see the influence he's had on these guys all year, and they talk about it. So I, I think it's interesting what's happened there. Sure. Uh, the other big news, and this was a big topic probably a week ago. I still want to hit on it. Uh, there was a lot of coaching uh, openings in the NBA, kind of like normal. Seven job openings: the Mavericks, the Trailblazers, the Celtics, the Wizards, the Pacers, the Pelicans. And the Magic. I have two questions from that list of teams okay. um, or surrounding those openings. One, which one of those teams, and I wrote them down for you to look at there. Mm-hmm. I ran through them quickly. Which do you, job do you think is best? Say you are the, the Phil Jackson of coaching and you could just swing in there and grab any job that you want. Okay, well, first, what? I would like to say I'm not a racist, and despite what Scotty Pippen said <laughs> I don't today, know, Scotty says different. Scotty Pippen says different. And then I would say that I guess it depends on the player personnel moves, because it sounds like Doncic is not happy in Dallas. So if Doncic doesn't stay in Dallas, I don't want to be in Dallas. Same with Damian Lillard in Portland. There's rumblings that he's not happy in Portland. So if Dame isn't in Portland, I don't want to be in Portland. And this is going to sound a bit homer, but in that case, give me the Wizards. Russell Westbrook and Bradley Beal, when they were finally healthy there at the end, started to play a little bit better. So I'll take that. If you if I get Russell Westbrook and Bradley Beal, I'll take that job. I was battling between two teams that you didn't even mention right there. Um... Oh, I don't want the Pelicans job. I don't want the Pelicans job because I don't like the New Orleans team, but having Zion to coach, I think would be Mm -hmm. fun. But I come back to Boston Celtics. I come back to that Tatum kid who's so good. You can get stars to come to Boston. Um, It's the storied franchise. I also, I think Brad uh, Stevens, I think he's all right. Maybe he's better in this GM role than he was a coach. It seemed like they maybe couldn't get over the hump, but it didn't seem like player personnel uh, was his biggest problem. I think it was more on the court coaching and pulling those guys together. I think if you're using some of his ability as a GM and and I'm confident in my coaching, I just start to I, I look at that Boston Celtics job, you know, as much doubt as I've seen in that team over the years, it just seems like they still cycle to be awesome and cycle to be awesome. And there's a lot of these other teams that, you know, haven't really cycled into being awesome. So I just, you know, all those banners, I think, start to play in my mind. And I, I start to look at that Boston Celtics job as, as one of the more attractive. I, I, I don't know how much I want to coach a team in Boston. Uh, I think there's a lot of layers of problems there. Yeah, um, that's why I couldn't just be the Celtics. That organization, I think, is is well-built, and I think there's some talent on the court that doesn't appear to be trying to leave. Maybe they are. I mean, they got rid of Kimball Walker. I don't know. I mean, better for them. We say it's Tatum's a well-built good. organization. What have they accomplished? Uh, they, they've won championships in the last 10, 15 years. They won one, right, with the big three? Their big okay. three? So the Mavericks won one against LeBron around that same time period, maybe right after that time I'm period. I'm just saying, I think the Celtics are, have accomplished about won? as much. Well, yeah, the Wizards haven't won any, but the Wizards have pieces that I like better than the Boston pieces. 
I like a healthy Russell Westbrook and Bradley Beal better than I like what the Celtics have. There, I said it. Okay. I think we talk. I think Boston chokes more than any other franchise, so I I wouldn't want that job. I think it's something. I think it's something there. I think there's a problem there. And you'd have to live in Boston, so no. <laughs> I did acknowledge that piece of it. All right, so then there is plenty of names to go to those jobs. We're already hearing about Penny Hardaway interviewing in Orlando. We're hearing about uh, Chauncey Billups getting the Portland Trailblazers job. Um, but there are a couple names that keep getting spread out there for potential jobs. Uh, a San Antonio assistant coach named Becky Hammond. Uh, a New Orleans assistant coach, Teresa Weatherspoon, uh-huh. and a former Celtics assistant, Kara Lawson. Um, those three people I just named are women. Uh, is this the time we're going to see a woman named a head coach of a team? Well, you said whether the... it's one of those three or somebody else okay. is is one of these seven openings uh, the time that we're going to see a woman become head coach of an NBA franchise. You said Penny Hardaway is interviewing with the Magic. I don't know if that's going to be their coach or not. Um, you mentioned the, what was the other one you said? Teresa Weatherspoon. No, is an the Blazers. The Blazers is Chauncey Billups. Okay. And I think Rick Carlisle took the Pacers job because I was confused as to oh, why. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I would be, I was confused as to why he would pick that job because it's, it, I would think Rick Carlisle could have had any of those jobs that he, that were yeah, available. He walked away from Dallas. Yeah. Cause he walked out of Dallas. He wasn't fired. He walked out of Dallas. Um, I would I would not have walked out of Dallas even without Luka Doncic if it meant I had to walk into Indiana. That was that's a bad job. Um, <laughs> that's the second time being head coach there too. I will say this: Teresa Witherspoon will not get the New Orleans job. They're going to rebuild. That that did not go well with Stan Van Gundy. So I don't think anyone on that staff is going to get that job. Not saying they won't hire a Becky Hammond or Kara Lawson or Teresa Witherspoon can't get a job at one of these other teams. Um, I guess I'm going to be cynical here and say, no, I don't think they will. I think you're right. I don't, I, I, I just, I agree with you that I'm not I don't saying that they're not qualified. The I just don't think they're higher. Yeah. I, I think this isn't the time we see it. I think it's going to be very interesting when Greg Popovich goes, because that organization does seem uh, interested at being on the forefront of, of moves like that. And they've, you know, Becky Hammond has been there for seven years, seven years ago. I think she was the first assistant coach, a woman assistant coach. I just wouldn't be surprised if, you know, she's there for nine years and then becomes head coach, or maybe she even goes assistant somewhere else between now and then, or, or has some other job. I don't even know what, but I just wouldn't be surprised if that Popovich spot is kind of where she winds up. Um, I think Becky Hammond is the one that will be the first. It just, it seems like we've been built into this. Um, I had heard uh, Carol Lawson's name before. Teresa Weatherspoon, I, I didn't really hear until two weeks ago um, as a potential for a head coaching job. So I do think it's going to be Becky Hammond, and I I just don't know if it happens for one of those seven teams right now. But, hey, I'd be excited if I was wrong. I, you know, I'd be really excited if I was wrong. Um, so I would, would say the only rebuttal I would have to Becky Hammond being in after Popovich leaves would be it depends on how the Popovich era ends. It's been a while since they've won a title. And I think this is now two or three straight years that they haven't made the playoffs. So they're collecting talent. <laughs> mm-hmm. 
Well, they're not bad enough to do it. it well, is my point. So you either need to be really bad or really good, but you can't be like in between in the NBA. Yep. That's a death sentence. And right now, that's kind of where the San Antonio Spurs are living. So depending on how much longer Pop stays around and how many more years are without playoffs, I think would determine whether Becky Hammond gets that job or not. I think we'll see it before long. I just I just don't know if we see it this year, and I think that was what you were saying. Uh, baseball, Major League Baseball, two weeks till the All-Star game. Some of the highlight kind of things out there. DeGrom has been pitching well. Uh, he, you know, his ERA just ballooned up to .68 uh, because he gave up two runs on Sunday. Uh, he's been doing great. Uh, he's about even on how many RBI, how many, how many runs he's scored himself and how many runs he's given up, uh, which is a fun little stat. Um, uh, Shohei Otani has been tearing it up with home runs. Also, I saw a stat today, uh, talking about how many strikeouts you've had, uh, a player had on a year that they had 20 plus home homers. runs, 25, yeah. 25, 25 home run seasons, most pitching strikeouts. Uh, Shohei has 82 strikeouts and to go with his 25 plus home runs. Now, uh, the next person on the list is from 1919 Babe Ruth with 30. <laughs> and then after that, the list is three or lower and, uh, it's Babe Ruth a couple more times. Uh, Chris Davis. I mean, you know, I was going to say the, the contract, only other right? guy, this, uh, <laughs> yeah, that that's within 10 years, Chris Davis with two, look at him. He had two strikeouts. Only other guy with multiple ones in the century is Chris Davis. What a beast. What my point is, is Otani's awesome. He's really special to watch. If you have not been watching any Angels baseball, make sure you cut it on every once in a while to watch what he's doing at the plate or on the mound. Uh, I wish the Angels would. I don't understand how the Angels continue not to be a better team than they are. Everyone there needs to be fired. I mean, they got Trout, and they have Otani doing what he's doing. They have uh, what's his face from the Nats. Oh, whenever Anthony there. Rondon. I don't think he's doing that good though. But like, they keep acquiring talent and doing nothing with it. So um, that's disappointing. Uh, I want to see a lot of these guys in the home run derby. Otani's already committed. Uh, I think Guerrero committed, and we've seen him in there before. Uh, I know Tatis opted out, which disappointed me, but he has been battling this elbow injury this season. So I, I will give that a little bit of credit. Um, but yeah, you is know, that anything like, like dude, cancer? Because that's what Trey Mancini's been battling and he's in the home run derby. Oh, is he? That's great. That's awesome. I am excited that he got invited. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, that's very cool. I, I um, okay. I'm not gonna <laughs> draw. <laughs> obviously, obviously <laughs> I'm <fair>. poking at <laughs> Fernando Tatis. That is not fair. But, um, yeah. yeah. Tatis is doing a lot for the game, uh, and his star power was great, and he'll be in the All-Star game and be fun to watch. But uh, uh, I am disappointed he won't be in the Home Run Derby. Uh, the Home Run Derby does do better than the slam dunk competition does these days, getting the stars in there. Maybe it's not 100% stars. Um, you do get a couple that have to sit out, but it's not like the slam dunk contest where you discover a person because he's in that contest. Trout um, just hit the 60-day IL, so he won't be involved in the All-Star game at all. Oof. Well. All right, but your Orioles are the second worst team in baseball. My Pirates are the third worst team uh, in the in baseball. So we're in the cellar together. The Nationals had a good week. They uh, won seven uh, of the last ten, and they've gotten up to second in the NL East. But that division overall is not great. Only one of those teams looks to make the playoffs. Uh, so 
the locals and our favorites for the podcast uh, aren't having the greatest year. The Nationals are definitely the best of the bunch. Uh, we're in a rebuild. We've, we've committed. Um, <laughs> which brings me to an interesting point. Orioles Twitter is starting to look a little bit like Virginia Tech Twitter where everyone's killing each other. Um, and the thing is, so it's a rebuild. Everyone knows that. The, the problem is who the Orioles have on the Major League roster versus who's still in triple or double A. Um, no one is clamoring for Grayson Rodriguez or Adley Rushman to be up on the Major League team. But there is a guy named Jemai Jones who's in triple A that a lot of people are saying, hey, this guy needs to be called up. Um, I also think he needs to be called up. I've watched... Many people play or second base for the Orioles this year, and it is like watching a 10-year-old get called up, and they're just like, hey, kid, let's see if you can cut it with uh, Mike Trout bearing down on you. It's a disaster. It looks bad. We can't hit. The second base position is 30th in almost every single offensive category. Um, they're not good defensively. And that's the that's the knock. The Orioles keep saying, well, Jemai Jones isn't ready defensively to play Major League Baseball. We have T.J. Stewart in the outfield who falls down and is like, if ESPN still did the not top 10, would be, Friday, he would Friday, be showcased on there. Well, then he's got to be showcased on there weekly because I feel like every week there is at least a new video clip of D.J. Stewart falling down or looking like a clown in the outfield. Um, so... When you have that on the team, yeah, I, I don't don't tell me about how much defense matters. It doesn't. We're twenty four and fifty four. What's the worst that happens? Jemai Jones makes an error and we become twenty four and fifty five. I mean, at least bring up somebody that I can be excited about. So that's that's the big argument happening in Orioles Twitter right now. I mentioned Trey Mancini being called up to the home run derby. That's awesome. But Cedric Mullins needs to be an all star. I touched on this on the radio. I'll bring it up here on the podcast. Um, Aaron Judge sucks, okay? Aaron Judge is not an all-star. If Aaron Judge gets in the all-star game, Rob Manfred should resign. And also, America should be disbanded as a nation. No more voting, because we can't be trusted. Hey, on Cal Ripken's last year, uh, was he worthy of being an all-star? That was a career accomplishment. Is Aaron Judge going to retire at the end of the year? It's a fan vote. I just, I, I hate, my, I hate uh, Yankees as much as you do. I, I hate them. But, like, it's a fan vote. I just, like, it's an exhibition game. It doesn't matter for anything anymore. And I just don't get that worked up about it. I do. Maybe your boy gets selected. Maybe fans shouldn't vote. It just doesn't. I I just don't stay up at night about it. Maybe the players should vote. Maybe the people who are actually there and actually know what good players look like and not the fans who are like, oh, Aaron Judge is so good. He's so, oh, my gosh. Look at Aaron Judge. Look at him play at Baby Gap Ballpark. The players at Williamsport have to hit it further to hit a home run in right field than Aaron Judge does. What a coward Aaron Judge is. Speaking of the Yankees, your big boy Garrett Cole, now that he can't use his sticky tack, sucks. So congratulations, Garrett Cole, robbing the New York Yankees. You're now my favorite Yankee because you go out there and get lit up. Yeah. Wow. When he was a pirate, no one, no one cared that he used the sticky stuff. I liked it. I mean, I do think uh, you brought it up. The shift in enforcement for foreign substances for the pitchers. They, I don't like the um, multiple on-field inspections just because the manager grunts the right 
waiting from the dugout, as we saw Scherzer experience a week ago. I think it's a bad look. I think they need to come up with a better way of handling this. Um, I also think the pitchers need to be adults about it and not throw a little hissy fit when they are asked about it. If they ask to see something, just show it to them and move on. I saw, I saw Shohei Otani laugh, show him the glove, joke around, get off the field. I don't see what's wrong with that. I don't see why you have to throw your glove down in disgust on the first, on the first check and start unbuckling your pants. Like just, just everybody. Let's be a little more adult about the situation. Girardi, don't ask to inspect the same pitcher three times in one game. If he's beating you, he's beating you. Deal with it. But also don't, if you're getting inspected more than once, if someone else isn't being an adult, then you be the bigger adult. That's that's kind of my opinion. But I do wonder if baseball could come up with a better procedure on how to handle this. I don't have a problem with what Major League Baseball is doing. I have a problem with the players making a big show about it. If y'all weren't well, cheating like there. a bunch of crazy people, this wouldn't be happening, Okay. And you know, you know how I know it's working? People like Garrett Cole are getting lit up like a Christmas tree now. All of a sudden, the dude can't pitch. Oh, gee, I wonder what changed. Oh, you can't use stuff that's made to hold a cinder block in your hand? That's weird. I do think I didn't love the response. Like, the hitters are like, well, it gives them, a, like, a little better control, and that keeps us safer. Like, I, I don't know. I'm just, yeah, but I guess I'm it, one that I just think we should be playing and, clean. We should just be playing clean. Rosin and sunscreen wasn't the problem. It's spider tack and whatever yes. concoction that they yes. were making that was the problem. And so at the end of this year, they'll go back. It'll be collectively. It'll be in that new CBA that's going to happen at the end yep. of the year. And they'll be allowed to use rosin and sunscreen again. And that will be fine. But... That way it's safe and the pitchers will have better grip and whatever, but yep. they won't be able to use spider tack and the offense yeah. is improving. The MLB's desired goal is happening. So it's working as much as they want to make it a theater out there on the mound and unbuckle our pants and whatever. I'm like, okay, Max or whatever. The Mariners guy, I love him getting caught. I wasn't using a sticky substance. Oh, I'm sure the umpires had nothing better to do than just throw pick you at random and throw yeah. you out. Yeah. All right. I think that's all the topics for the pro sports, unless I missed something. No. Let's get out of here and let's get to the D block. All right, ladies and gentlemen, let's do the D block. And since Leland always likes to go first, I'll go first this time. Because what is dominating my life is the Euros. It's not actually dominating my life, but I am paying attention to it. Um, (laughs) <laughs> and unfortunately, what is dominating my life is getting the round of 16 wrong. As Damn it. There goes the over. Um, and <laughs> sorry, the podcast, though, gambling doesn't wait for anybody. On yeah, the gambling podcast. waits for no one. <laughs> gambling losses wait for no one. But uh, in the Euros, <laughs> I've been terrible at the round of 16. Uh, one, I blame on myself. I shouldn't have doubted Denmark against Wales. At the last minute, I switched and then they one four to nothing so that's on me but the netherlands they really let me down losing to the czech republic that shouldn't have happened um france lost in penalties to switzerland today uh croatia lost to spain five to three i don't think spain had five goals in the group stage and they scored five against croatia which shocked me um so the groups the knockout stage has gone poorly for me in my predictions but that happens sometimes. It's it's an exciting tournament. England versus Germany tomorrow is going to be thrilling. It'll be already concluded by the time this episode goes up, but um, I'm hoping England win because 
I guess that's what I'm rooting for now. You think Aylin's going to do it, or who who do you think is going to do it? Um, of the teams remaining, England I, and yeah, Belgium. I'm going to limit it to the teams eligible. Yes. Yes, England and Belgium have the most. Well, I'm putting the qualifier on the next statement I'm about to make. Of the teams remaining, those are the teams that have the most talent. Unfortunately, Germany has been kind of a problem for England in the past. Any British person will tell you if that game goes to penalties, they're just going to turn the TV off because they know they've lost. Germany always seems to beat England in penalties. It's like a curse. And they always seem to go to penalties. So, wide right. It's Florida yeah, State. Yeah, exactly. It's it's wide right for uh, Florida State fans. Um, it always seems to go there, and it, they always seem to lose. I'm hoping England wins, though. There's a lot of players on the England team I like. What has been dominating my life? Less soccer than uh, than you. Uh, we'll get to really what's been dominating and what I know that you need to know. But last weekend is what I had teed up. For last week's episode, I'm still going to hit it. I had a great Father's Day. Um, we went swimming one day and then went to the drive-in that night. We watched a bunch of movies. I got to slip in some golf with one of my other uh, buddies who's a dad of three. Um, we were supposed to have more dads at that, uh, but it didn't work out that way. But I had a great Father's Day weekend, so I wanted to say that out loud on the podcast thank my wife for orchestrating such a nice weekend. She won't listen to this, so she won't know, but uh, it was what? awesome. So really happy about that. I also got a gift that will make our podcast uh, a better quality program. So always have to appreciate that. Um, so thanks kids and wife for uh, ordering me the this new device here that by next week should be up and running to make us sound even better. But uh, what I wanted to highlight there on What's Dominating My Life, that weekend dominated by three different kids' movies that I watched. Uh, at the drive-in, we w- saw The Spirit. Um, I don't think it's Riding Free. I think that's a Netflix series, but it's a spirit movie that has a very similar storyline uh, and animation, but some bigger stars doing the voices for the movie. And uh, the kids loved it. They liked the Netflix series. So uh, this kind of revamping that a little bit was cool for them. And then the next day we watched... Uh, I forget the order we watched them, but we watched Luca that same weekend, which was the Disney Pixar film. Pete Doctor, one of the guys involved in that one, he's the one that did uh, Inside Out and um, the and and Soul. The the, the Pixar movies with a little more uh, gut wrenching, tear invoking things happening uh, seemed to always be Pete Doctor. That was a really good uh, film, a little lighter than a lot of the other Pete Doctor stuff, but some some solid meaning in there. Uh, really nice movie where uh, some sea monster kids uh, above above the water when they're dry do look like human form and them interacting with uh, normal society. Uh, it's fun. And then we also watched Raya the Last Dragon because I refuse to give Disney additional money to watch movies. I'll just wait till they're included in my normal membership. And uh, that was also good. So it was good for the kids' movies. Uh, actually, all three were nice. Probably Luca is the one I'm first to recommend because uh, I think it was a solid movie. Um, but they were all worth watching. Uh, probably Raya, the Last Dragon, probably be the next best. It was it was good. I think Spirit is actually a sequel. 
There was oh, a, there's there was a whole a, series of spirit. I was going to say there it's was not, a spirit movie. I remember a spirit movie in the early 2000s that I wasn't too plus. There on. was Matt Damon was uh, the narration of the horse for that movie. We we have that one. I, you're actually not going to one up me on my on the spirit knowledge here. Uh, no, that's I fine. I just well the way versed. you were talking, <laughs> it's for the audience. The way you were talking, it sounded like the Netflix series was first, and then this movie came out. No, Which, this is the kind of at least the third intera- iteration, sure. if, if not more. Um, uh, of this, it, the the similarity here is uh, the Netflix series and this movie have very similar storylines, all the same characters, um, really, really parallel storylines. Uh, it's just kind of they're revamping it with a little couple different little twists. Um, the old Spirit movie in the early two thousands was was much different. It was the horse out in the wild and kind of interactions with different groups of, of people and other animals. So, uh, much different, not, not this same little girl named lucky and her friends and her dad that she's living with for the summer and that kind of stuff. So, um, all, all fine things. Uh, I take the Disney ones first though. All right. What I know that you need to know is what actually has been dominating my life on the television. And it's all these Olympic trials, we had week of swimming trials. We had a week of uh, the same, some of the same week and into this week of track. We have also had gymnastics this past weekend. Uh, and we have watched about as much of it as we can. Those kind of are the three things we watch most of during the Olympics in general. Uh, this has definitely been the most trials we ever watched. And I, it just has worked out this way that we've been able to watch them. The swimming had a lot of swimmers that we were kind of personally interested in on Tony Kornheiser's podcast. Uh, he has 40 on um, the writer for sports illustrated. His daughter Brooke has been on the cusp of these trials for a year now, you know, more than a year now, like uh, 18 months ago, he was talking about building up for the trials and then the pandemic happened and pushed everything back. So they've been talking about this for this whole time. And that we kind of gotten the inside track of what's going on for these athletes. Um, since his daughter was one of them, she qualified, which is great. She's an alternate on the swim team. Uh, but still great that she gets to go and maybe she somehow walks into an opportunity. Uh, Phoebe Bacon, my wife knows her uncle, I believe, uh, if not other close family. Uh, but uh, and she has a cool name. The Bacon I was name, say, with a name a like bacon, that, how could you bacon, not root for her? Yeah, he has a Baconator shirt. He's trying to get um, Wendy's to sponsor, <laughs> I guess, him. Uh, <laughs> uh, so a lot of cool things uh, happening uh, with people we know. Uh, either directly or through podcasts, which I know, uh, you know, you feel like you know the people when you listen to the podcast every day or every week. Mm-hmm. Um, and then also Katie Ledecky is always fun in the swimming. On the track, it was the Shikari Richardson in the women's 100 and then Trayvon Bromel in the, wins, in the men's 100. Those names stand out. But then a lot of LSU runners and jumpers and um, hurdlers and stuff that we watched two weeks ago in the NCAA finals. Uh, so we were really following the track along. We always watch a lot of track and especially those, those sprint races are so much fun to watch. Um, and then the gymnastics and watching the the awesomeness that is um, Biles and Simone is just taking that sport to a different level. And, you know, as much as we think we're watching the greatest of all time and other sports as we're watching it and they can be debated in basketball and in golf, we probably were seeing it and in baseball, you know, we're always comparing, you know, what the game was like now to then, uh, same with football. There's no doubt about it with Simone Biles. She is the best gymnast ever. Um, and she just proves it every single time she goes out. She even messed up a little bit in these trials in the final day and still won the competition. And so it's just fun to watch how dominant she is. 
Um, and, and not that I'm looking for her to fail, but like if she does slip a little bit or have something go off, you know, what does that mean? And, and watching her kind of rebound from those is incredible. She just has that great focus that seems to be a constant amongst all these greatest ever. So we watched a lot of that. It was great. Uh, watch those, all those names I just said, that's what I want you to know. That's what I know that you need to know. Um, the point that I wanted to get towards was, uh, the men's basketball team you've multiple times on the podcast said we're not winning gold i am anxious to see other rosters that's fine i still see a lot of talent on this usa side i'm not saying this is dream team 92 and they're going to beat everybody by 40 and all that I'm, i'm not trying to say this roster is that but i do think this roster is balanced enough and has some of enough of the top talent that I still think gold's expected. I, I don't think it's well, I'm expecting them to fail. And uh, so I'm, I'm bringing that up to argue with you uh, whether that's this week or in weeks coming. That's, that's how I feel. Okay. Um, if you want to put a bet on it, I'm interested is I guess where I'm getting to. Is Katie confirmed? Is Katie confirmed? Katie Ledecky? No, KD. Kate, Kevin Durant. I thought I read that headline and they shared the roster today and he was on it. And it also has Damian Lillard. Okay. And- I didn't think okay, he was going to play. So Kevin Durant playing does change it a little bit. I'm not saying there's not some names on there. I'm like, okay, but there's a lot of names where I'm like, I just don't know what other countries. Yeah, I don't know if I put, put Zach lineups that are Love, better than what we're going to produce. And we still got to go out there and do Grant. it. I'm not, I, I don't think we're dominating everybody by 40. If somehow we have to come out of a loser's bracket or something, uh, I, I wouldn't be absolutely shocked. I would say, but, looking at the roster that was announced, see, some of these people I didn't think would be on it. I thought they would say no. So, Kevin Durant's one. I try to use facts when I, when I make Yeah, I was, I was guessing. I, I like to Science, play reckless though. speculation. Um <laughs> I, I figured the best player on the team would maybe be Bradley Beal and Drew Holiday. And so I didn't love our chances. I mean, you'd rather coach Bradley guys. Beal than anybody. So. Yeah, but if if you're telling me, hey, it's the Olympics and Bradley Beal is the best player from America, I'm going to be like, Ugh. nope. Um, so the fact that we have yeah. Kevin Durant, Damian Dame, Lillard, Kevin Dame Lillard, Durant, Jason Tatum, Bradley Beal, Devin like Booker. Right I'm not Jason Tatum. Devin I could Booker. take or leave, but Devin Booker okay. I like. Draymond Green's going to go out there and kick somebody in the crotch. Draymond Green's not. That's another one I could take or leave at this point in his career. Who, which one? Draymond Green. I don't like Draymond. I never, I never liked Draymond. I didn't like Draymond at Michigan State. Well, I'm just saying talent-wise, I don't think he's worthy of an Olympic spot in actuality. But I mean, Kevin Love, you'd say that for too. So Also true. And whoever that Grant guy from the Pistons is. I, I honestly had to be reminded of who he was. I remembered once I was reminded, but. Who okay? I don't know. Tell me, because I don't know who he is. Yeah, uh, I just I remembered a, a college highlight. It, moving forward, I don't see who we're gonna see. Um, for like a roster, Spain, that Argentina, Greece is who I would put be up six about. or seven guys that Serbia. that matches up with our six or seven top guys. Serbia is gonna be tough. Croatia. Okay, I just like I'm interested to see those rosters and see like Tony Kukoc, his son, and who else? Like, what are we? Well, Luca, if he plays in the Olympics, will be a problem. Okay. Giannis. Okay. If we only had Kevin Durant, I would 
maybe say that, but like I, I guess think we a need lot the Bucks to get into the finals. That might reduce Giannis's chances of playing in the Olympics. Well, there, yeah, I like that idea. All right, let's go Bucks. Although um, the Suns playing might hurt our chances of getting Devin Booker. The Grant kids from Syracuse. It was uh, I was blanking again on my remembering of him. Uh, <laughs> the reason I remember him, honestly, is because I have a buddy named Grant Sutherland, and there was a Sutherland and a Grant on that team, um, and that's why I was remembering him. That Yeah, that's not going to help me remember who he is. But yeah. All right. All right. Let's talk about what I know that you need to know. The Savannah Bananas are an independent league team, I believe, uh, baseball. And they like to do wacky and zany promotions to try to get folks out to the games, and they try to make it fun. His horse is Grant's nephew. Sorry, I had to. I had to chime in with that. Oh, Horace rather, Grant's twin brother. I would rather dad. have Horace Grant today <laughs> than his nephew. Um, I don't want him today. He he was filling up a chair in in the last. <laughs> I'd rather have Horace Grant <laughs> than his nephew. Um, he was the rebound there. As I was saying, but. They one of the promotions they did recently was they brought a marching band out to play the batter intros for the Savannah Bananas batters. And I love it. I that needs to be a thing. I love marching bands. Any way we can get them more involved, I'm all for. I think the schools here need to be better about putting pep bands in basketball, uh, especially Fort and Wilson. Stanton, too. Um, I think those three especially need to get involved, get those bands in the gyms just yeah just have fun i liked it it was it was you never seen it before i know I, I sent you the the little video of it and i'll try to get it tweeted out i think it's coming from the tiktok universe so uh we'll get it over there somehow yeah but they played uh oh, so good the john cena wwe intro if you're familiar with what yeah. that is john and the batter did the you can't see me face thing <laughs> that was great oh i love it baseball it being was fun, fun. It was fun. And it if, was cool. You, know you never what? seen For it before. Quote unquote safety. If we want to put the bands in the st- in the bleachers, like behind home plate, that's fine. You're not selling out baseball games anyway. <laughs> All right, let's get out of here, uh, and we should be back to our normal schedule as long as you know Joe stays healthy. Because uh, Lord knows if I go down, he'll just get someone else to come on yeah, here. That's right. Uh, but we should be. Better than ever next week uh, if the cords come in the mail. And uh, so you'll want to be subscribed to us to keep on hearing us this summer. At Yak Sports Pod uh, is how you communicate us w- with us through Facebook or Twitter or just emailing us at yaksportspod at gmail.com. And like I said, subscribe on Podbean, Apple, Google, and Spotify. That's how you can stick with us. And we'll have some fun topics this summer, some some things that I've kind of saved on the list here, uh, good you know, debates that came up through the year, um, maybe on Twitter that I thought we could have on the podcast this summer. And then we're going to get geared up for these fall sports, particularly football. And uh, we look forward to doing that. So stick with us here through the summer as uh, we're going to keep us rolling right through it with great guests and great topics. And we'll be back next week with that. Have a happy July 4th and uh, we'll talk to you next week. You've been listening to Yak Sports, your Augusta County sports podcast. 